Hello everyone, my name is Vlad Radulescu and I'm your host today for our ninth episode of the EBT podcast. Today with me we have Calvin. You know Calvin, he's already been on the podcast. He taught uh, all of us how to design a workout program. So hello Calvin, thanks again for accepting my invitation. Lots of people actually loved the podcast and this is why uh, I uh, invited you again to talk uh, about a very interesting subject. How are you today? I'm doing good, Vlad. Thanks for having me on, my man. How's everything going on in uh, the old sunny California? Uh, California just went on another lockdown, so we're kind of being a bit lame. Gyms are closed. Yeah, there's honestly not much going on besides good weather here in California. But I don't think the lockdown affects you very much, as everybody who follows you knows you have a home gym. Yeah, so I'm able to train pretty much all my clients at my home gym. And then I train some remotely um, at their houses. And then most of my other work is online coaching or writing. I know you write a lot. Every time I enter on Facebook, I see some article you've posted on T-Nation or, or some some uh, similar sites. And I will also think, man, who, when does he have the time to write so much? Yeah, I just try to... <laughs> Yeah, people tell me that too. I try to write every day. So it's kind of like it's kind of like working out. You got to just do it even though you don't feel like it because if you let your feelings take over, you'll just never write because writers feel like they're never perfect or they don't want to start typing because it's not going to come out right. So I just try to force myself to write every single day. But how do you find the topics? Like you you never write about the same topic twice from what I've seen. Yeah, I actually have a folder on my computer with a lot of article ideas. Like for me, finding topics isn't hard just because I have so many that I want to get to. Eventually, I want to be able to like nail every topic in deep detail. So finding the topic actually isn't that hard for me. Just getting the writing down sometimes is hard. <laughs> Getting the writing down or just reviewing all the available research? Uh, honestly, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Reviewing the research is definitely harder than actually writing, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a tough time to be an evidence-based practitioner these days, especially when uh, uh, everything in the publishing world is about publish or perish. Yeah, exactly. And even, even within the evidence-based community, it's starting to it's starting to become very cultish. Like people are just writing about what their favorite evidence-based like PhD or influencer is writing about. They're not actually looking at the evidence or they're not actually training people anymore. You know what I mean? They're not putting the evidence together with the experience. Yeah, they are actually just uh, reviewing and uh, making some recommendations that they heard before and not filtering the information through their head, applying it uh, individually. Exactly. Yeah. They're just mimicking what they see on social media. Yeah. Actually, also in Romania, I see a lot of evidence-based practitioners, of course, with the uh, needed quotes, because all they do is just take some notes, take some quotes, and uh, they think they know. But what can we do? Yeah, exactly. All, all I can do is uh, try to make the world a better place one article at a time. Yeah, man. One article at a time. But for you, I think it's like 10 articles at a time. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I'm I'm kind of uh, planning the rest of uh, 
the year. So like it's slowing down a bit, but in 2021, the goal is to, to publish probably at least one to two articles per week. That's very good. Only on your website or uh, affiliate also? Uh, one, at least on my website. So those are the ones that usually get the, the deepest research reviews. And then at mm -hmm. least one on another website. Nice, nice. What's your favorite source of uh, information, let's say? Like, who do you trust most when uh, when you don't have the the time to review a study accordingly? Gotcha. So there's a few people that I really like and I really look up to their content. So one is Menno Henselmans. I actually took his course. And before even taking his course, I wrote a couple of articles for him and we've been in touch with some things. So nice. he's somebody that I also notice when he interprets and dissects the research, he sees things that other people don't see, or he doesn't come in with, with pre-existing biases. Uh, another person that I really like is James Krieger. His research review is like 12 or $14 a month. I don't remember, but I've been subscribed for like years now. And Weightology. Has, what's up? Weightology. Yeah, Weightology. He has one of my favorite research reviews. Um, another good one is Mass and Alan Aragon. Those guys have good stuff as well. So all of those guys you can't really go wrong with for sure. I'm really glad you brought that up. It uh, allows me the the chance to mention that we already got uh, Alan Aragon on our podcast in a previous episode. And we will also try to get the guys from Mass and why not uh, uh, Mano also and James Krieger in the future. But uh, another thing that was very interesting that you said, it was uh, something about the um, review part where uh, you, you said you took his course. So is this before you you uh, to started to train people or after? Um, I took his course last year, so a year ago. Uh -huh. So like a special, like a supra specialization. Yeah. That nice. And what do you think? Uh, what What do you like most? Do you like training or nutrition? Like what What blinks to you? To be honest, to be honest, both are very equal for me. Like really 50, yeah, 50. Like sometimes people will, will see that I post more nutrition and they think that I like nutrition more. Or sometimes they'll see that I, I'm starting to post more training and I like training more, but I honestly like both a lot. I can't really say which one has the edge for me. <laughs> That's interesting. I can say that, uh, nutrition has, um, has been my passion for a while and it, it is a little bit more than training, like, I don't know, let's say 60-40%. But uh, mm. I find it very hard to have a 50-50 approach. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, I started as a, as a personal trainer, so I, I like training a lot. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of people are, are lacking the, the training aspect. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think more people, the evidence-based community, is a little bit harder on nutrition, a little bit more emphasized on nutrition. So... I still like training a lot. Well, everyone should like to train a lot because it also brings a lot of benefits for the health and it makes us look good. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Can't get yeah. without training. Yeah, precisely. So um, now that we have a little bit of an introduction, uh, 
before we move on to the topic, I would just like to state so all our listeners can hear that I envy you for your home gym. <laughs> That's funny. I actually saw a meme the other day that was like, a, it's like this royal prince sitting on like, or standing on a balcony that says like, this is how people with home gyms view people who don't have home gyms. Yeah, I totally get you. I also saw a meme about uh, guys who work out with uh, elastic bands and regular dumbbells at home versus home gyms. So I can totally understand how many people might feel. Yeah, for sure. All right. Reaching to the the main topic of the day. As uh, we've talked about the title, it is how to defeat your cravings and hunger. Yep, exactly. How would you define before we before I let you talk? How would you define cravings? For example, a craving of mine is uh, peanut butter and jelly. And if you will think in a pers- diet perspective, it might be a healthy choice sometimes. Yeah. So let me define uh, hunger and appetite first. So appetite is your overall umbrella that you have to fulfill in order to at least appease eating. Hunger is very similar. Hunger is the feeling or the desire that you want to continue to eat. And hunger is both physiological and psychological. And then cravings is kind of what you mentioned. So cravings is a specific food that you desire that's hard to resist. So it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, a high calorie or an unhealthy type of food. It just has to be a specific sort of choice that is hard to resist. So like in your example, peanut butter, it's very specific. So that would be a craving. Mm -hmm. What's uh, your craving? Ooh, I have a lot. Uh, (laughs) My top Name your top three cravings then. (laughs) Ice cream is like massive. Like I love ice cream so much. If I have a bunch of Ben and Jerry's at home. I could eat it all. I also love chips, pancakes, waffles, um, French fries. Fried foods are, are big for me. So I have a, I have a lot of cravings. Those are those are some of the main ones, though. Yeah, I, I actually remember seeing your cravings on Instagram from time to time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so basically, if, if I will keep on looking on your Instagram, I would say, man, it looks like Calvin isn't defeating his cravings. But I'm sure that you have a system in place that's actually behind all of these uh, uh, principles. Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually writing it. I'm actually editing an article right now that's going to come out just on cravings. And one of the, the key points is that even though cravings are something that we obviously crave, it's not something you have to always defeat. So we think of cravings as a bad thing, but it's only bad if it takes you away from your goals. So the first question, anytime you might have some sort of craving that you want to defeat is, does this fit my macros or can I make it fit my macros? So whichever plan you're on currently, meaning you have to define if you're planning to do energy surplus, like if you're bulking, um, if you're doing energy maintenance, like you're just trying to maintain your weight, or if you are dieting, so you're trying to lose weight. And then you ask, okay, what is the food that I crave most? And based on that food, does that derail my goal? 
So for most people, they're either trying to maintain or lose body fat. And that's usually when they struggle with cravings the most because inherently your energy balance is smaller. So you have less calories to play with. And so certain Mm -hmm. foods might be an issue, whereas other foods might not be. Like, for example, for me, chips aren't a big issue because I could usually stop relatively soon and chips are generally lower calories whereas something like ice cream or like funnel cake or some of these fried foods that just have astronomical calories and I continue to eat them they're not going to be great on my goals so the first step is to define which ones are worth fighting and which ones aren't because we shouldn't just think of all cravings as bad because Sometimes we think of cravings as guilty pleasures when really pleasures are just pleasures. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. There's nothing like inherently good or inherently bad about like cheesecake or cookies or chips, burritos, these sorts of things. And then as far as how to defeat them, there's many ways you can go about it. But um, I can kind of go into like the mechanisms of cravings if you want first. Yeah, sure. Uh, before I let you talk about the mechanism, I would just like to say that I felt the pleasure of you talking about ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, so I love can, ice cream so much, man. <laughs> yeah, you you can transmit the pleasure through the the, the voice, you know. Mm-hmm. But before you go on to the mechanisms, I would just like to ask you a little thing: Is it wrong for people to have cravings included in their diet, like a diet? like a meal plan, let's say, with cravings included? Or should we allow them to take cravings whenever outside the meal plan? Gotcha. So I think you're asking if it's okay to include like some of these foods that we might crave, like some of the the harder to resist foods. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you can think like a a versus approach. Is it uh, better to include the cravings in the meal plan when we think about it? Or is it better to think... Uh, that they exist and that the client or the uh, guy who wants to lose weight or stuff just might choose to get the cravings in some days, not how we mm, thought initially. I see. So it ultimately comes down to if it if it blows you over your calories or not. So if you're able to include it and you're able to plan for it and not overeat, then you should be fine to include it. But if it's something that you include and you go over your calories each day, and you're gaining weight when your goal is to lose weight, then that's a case where you actually want to starve your craving. That's a case where you actually want to to not have it around at all. What about if a craving uh, disturbs your macronutrient ratios? Like we all know that protein is important for maintaining lean mass and its the thermogenic effect. But what if the craving takes up so many calories that we can't reach our macro target? Yeah, that's a really good question because ultimately the macro targets are less important than the energy balance. So at that point, you kind of have to ask yourself, is the benefits of hitting my macros spot on worth it to not have this food? Or is having this food more pleasurable enough to where I'm willing to to accept the trade-off that I'm not going to have optimal macros, which for most people is just hitting their protein. Mm -hmm. So It depends on how serious the the person is about their goals. And there's no right or wrong answers. There's just trade-offs on both ends. And you have to accept which ones 
are more worth it to you. Of course, we are talking about not reaching your macros uh, in some days, not all the time. Yeah. All right. Sorry for the short uh, uh, parenthesis. Uh, please go on about the mechanisms. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot about that. Um, so a lot of times people think food cravings are one of three things. So they think it's either hormonal, it's either a deficiency, or they think it's just random, which all three of these are not true in the literature. So the first one is hormonal, which probably going to piss off a lot of pregnant women here. But as I talked about at the beginning, cravings are largely, if not completely, psychological. There's no hormonal drive in research that equates to cravings. Like they've done randomized controlled studies. They've done numerous studies on, uh, for example, chocolate cravings, which is commonly reported. And there's no physiological mechanism to where we crave chocolate more. In fact, they've done so many studies on this that we can actually predict which region has more chocolate cravings. Because when I talk about how cravings sort of work, uh, you'll get this more because cravings are what we what we sort of uh, seek out when we've had a history of that pleasure. So when we have chocolate access to us or when we know or when we think that chocolate cravings is a thing, we're more likely to crave chocolate. So like if you grew up and uh, you see, you know, your aunts and you see all these women who start to crave chocolate when they're pregnant, right? When, you know, if you're a female, once you get pregnant, because that's already in your head and you already like chocolate, you'll start to crave it. But in countries where, you know, pregnant, uh, pregnant cravings aren't a thing, they actually don't crave chocolate. And then in countries where they have very little chocolate, they, they don't crave chocolate at all. Like if you grew up on an island and you didn't know what a chocolate bar is, you'll never crave chocolate. It's not, there's no hormonal drive to actually want it. You know, actually, this uh, is a funny, a funny comment. We should thank to the first woman who was pregnant and craved chocolate, you know? Yeah, because now it gives it gives all women an excuse to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she, she basically taught them uh, how to crave, what to crave, when to crave. Yeah, for sure. This is not me saying you can't have chocolate or, or that it's wrong to have it when you're pregnant. I'm just saying that it's not uh, a physiological thing. It's more of a psychological or a cultural thing. You know, actually, about the, the physiological part, I've read some studies and some reports that uh, some people might crave chocolate because of lack of magnesium. Mm, good question. So Regarding about the dark chocolate, because that's the one with more magnesium, not, uh, I don't know, caramel chocolate or white chocolate. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point that you bring up. But that's actually going to be what I'm touching on next is the, the deficiencies. So a lot okay. of times people think they crave like like chocolate, for example, because they're deficient in magnesium. Mm -hmm. But when you look at what people crave, the food people crave are not nutritious foods. People generally crave foods that are very low in nutrients. So like Twinkies, donuts, cheesecakes, uh, even chocolate. And that actually doesn't make sense because if we're deficient, we should be craving fruits, vegetables, grains you know, dairy, meat, stuff that has a lot more nutrients in it. And yeah, on yeah. top of that, there are some nutrients where if you're not deficient in it, you actually crave it more. So sodium, for example, 
when people eat sodium, even if they already had enough sodium for the day, they tend to crave it more. So it's not a, a deficient type of thing. Even, even outside of sodium, um, some other lines of research shows that this isn't the correct mechanism. For example, zinc, when you eat more zinc, your appetite generally trends towards an increase, not a decrease. So in general, we actually just crave foods because it tastes good, not necessarily because we're ever deficient. Because if we're deficient, we'd actually seek out foods that are, that are better or nourishing for us. But you know, about zinc, I recently saw a question. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, only 18 plus listeners will uh, have to listen to this part, please. So, moving on to the question. If you know about this, if not, it's perfectly okay. It's not a, a very common subject. You know the link about uh, zinc and testosterone. Yeah, if you are, oh. uh, yeah, if you're deficient in zinc, your your testosterone will suffer for sure. Okay, I've uh, read somewhere. Don't know how true it is. Just wanted to, to see if you know um, that when you ejaculate, you can lose up to one milligram of zinc per one milliliter of uh, seminal fluid. <laughs> I actually did not know that. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't know that. Okay, so basically, we can also cut this part off from the podcast if you want. No, but... it's fine. You can leave it. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I have to think twice if I leave it. But if you hear this, it means I, I left it in the podcast. The, the issue is, the issue I was thinking is that any sexual contact that results in the excretion of seminal fluid And also in a loss of zinc, will it be related to a low testosterone level? It's a uh, question I, I impose. Yeah, good question. So I actually uh, do a lot of research on lifestyle factors as well, because it obviously affects my clients beyond just exercise nutrition. And mm -hmm. based on pornography research, when you ejaculate, it does not affect testosterone. And one milligrams, it's it's one of those where for zinc, one milligrams, if, if what you're saying is right, uh, per ejaculation, mm -hmm. one milligram is like not a lot, but it's not a little bit either. It's kind of that in between. But if you're having a sufficient amount of zinc, one milligram should be, should be like nothing. So based on testosterone research, we know that we know that it's most likely not going to be impactful, at least not to, to a high degree to your testosterone. But depending on how you ejaculate. So what we see is that with, with porn research, when you, when you watch pornography and ejaculate, there seems to be other things that get impacted as if your testosterone got impacted. So like you start to be more depressed, you start to be more anxious, um, more stressed. So you, you, you pretty much take on the symptoms of low testosterone without actually having your testosterone tanked, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I will still think if I will leave this part in the podcast, but I don't know. It seems like uh, it's quite educational. What yeah, do you, think? Sure. you can you can leave it in if you want. I think some people will find it interesting. Uh, you know, the, the, the question I saw actually, and it made me research, was a guy who asked an influencer in fitness and nutrition if jerking off a lot might impact its testosterone, you know? And the guy said, man, don't think about it and stuff like that. And then I started doing some research and I was like, hmm, but zinc is related and you lose zinc and what's going on if you, but I will have to do more research on it. 
For sure, yeah. And zinc only impacts you if you are clearly deficient in it. So if you're already not deficient and you lose a milligram, right? That's not going to be a big deal at all. But if you're already deficient, then that's then you should be looking at other places besides um, ejaculation, <laughs> probably supplementation and, and dieting. Yeah, sure. But you know, it's it's one milligram per milliliter, so actually it's uh, a bit more. Gotcha. Yeah, you'll have to send me the the study reference for that because I've never I've never heard of that before. Actually, I will I will look. I promise I will look and I will send it to you. For sure. Yeah, and we do know that zinc okay. comes out when you sweat. So I I yeah. already factor this in with clients anyways. So for like more advanced lifters who are working out more and sweating more, I have their micronutrient needs, not just for zinc, but for a lot of micronutrients be higher than the recommended dose. So anyways. basically you, you advise them to use an um, electrolyte supplement. Amongst um, other stuff. Well, electrolytes don't. Yeah, I just I just make sure that uh, based on seeing their diet and their supplementation that they hit a higher amount. So the current amount for the current recommended amounts for zinc right now, off the top of my head, I believe is eight milligrams, eight to eleven milligrams for women, and about ten to twelve for men. But for my clients, for more advanced lifters who who are sweating a lot. I generally have women try to reach 10 milligrams per day and then men try to reach um, at least 15. So if they're already getting that, then I'm not too worried about it. Actually, you got it very good, the the recommended intake. That's the one. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, hello, enough with the zinc and the testosterone problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We... Uh, oh, yeah. We, we got on this topic because of the, the craving yeah, efficiency. Yeah. So we already went over how cravings are not hormonal. They're not based on deficiencies. So the third explanation that people think is that they're random, where people are like, oh, I just randomly get these cravings. But if you look at the science of cravings, they're not as random as you think. Mm -hmm. So how cravings work is basically when appetite goes up, or when hunger goes up. So appetite is the umbrella that encompasses both hunger and cravings. So if your hunger goes up, you're more likely to crave things because you're, you're hungrier. So that's a factor that influences it. The other factor is willpower. So the higher that hunger is and the lower that willpower is, it opens you up to a higher possibility of having cravings. And what those cravings are based on and how strong those cravings are is your association and your reward pathways with food. So what we see in research is that obese people generally have a more uh, susceptibility to these cravings. We see that when you feed lean people, some of these foods that are very easy to crave, like usually high salty, high fat, high sugary, high starch food in combination with manufacturing, Yeah, these foods, lean people can actually resist a little bit better, not always, depending on the food, than obese people. What we see is that it stimulates the reward system in obese people a lot more. But as a general thing, it stimulates everybody's reward system a lot. Like you see the the level of how much it stimulates your reward pathways compared to other foods, 
or other experiences, it's very high. Like it's one of those things where um, it's kind of like social media in the sense that every time you open it up or every time you get a like, you get a comment, you know, you see pretty girl on there, right? It boosts the reward system to where, oh, you like that feeling. So, you know, people think they don't have a problem, but they're checking their phones. You know, the first thing in the morning, they're checking their phones every five minutes, right? It's it's not like a harmful thing, like like drugs or anything like that. But people don't realize that because your reward system is stimulated, you want to go back to it. And it's very similar with food. When you've eaten these very tasty foods, when you've been exposed to these very tasty foods, they're essentially at the front of your mind. So when they're at the front of your mind, when willpower drains and when hunger goes up, you are pretty much setting yourself up to fail, essentially. So the kind of overall principle to defeat cravings is to keep hunger low, make sure you're well satiated, and to mitigate the psychology behind cravings. So making sure your willpower stays high and making sure that craving is out of mind, which is why if a craving is not conducive to your goal, your goal should not be moderation because that's something that's preached blindlessly, I think, in the evidence-based community where we're always about, oh, calories in, calories out. It, it doesn't matter as long as you, if it's your macros, just, just eat in moderation and you'll be fine. But that's great in theory, but in practical research, we find that that is not always true, especially in obese individuals who've struggled with this their whole lives. Like if they could eat, you know, if they could eat cookies, donuts, and Twinkies in moderation, they would have already done it, but they clearly can't. And what we also see in research is the amount uh, matters less than the frequency. So just by eating, just by being exposed to it again, it's already back in the front of your mind, which is why the goal of a craving, if you don't want to eat that food, you know, for your, your period of time, whether it's dieting or maintaining, then the goal should be to starve that craving, not eat it in moderation. So moderation works if you want it to fit in your calories and you can, but if you can't fit into your calories, what research finds is you have to starve that craving because the less you eat it, the less you're exposed to it, it falls to the back of your mind. You no longer remember that, that good sensation, that good feeling, right? Let's say there's like a hobby you really like, um, like, let's say you really like surfing. Like, I really like okay. surfing, right? And if you go surfing, you'll feel really good, right? It feels really good. It's oh, tattoo, tattoo. People with tattoos will get this. Right after you get a tattoo, you want another one because you like the art. It feels really good. But the longer you go without getting a tattoo, that feeling, that desire fades. And it's very similar with food. If you think, oh, I'll just try to squeeze it in in moderation or... Um, you know, I'll, you know, eat out this one time and try to get back on track mm -hmm. tomorrow. But if it's a true craving that you're struggling with, that just makes it worse. That just makes you crave it more. It's kind of like opening a bag of chips. You can't just eat one chip. You have to eat more chips because it tastes really good. You're reintroducing that, that feeling that is basically uh, what research finds. I call it seducing your reward pathways because- Oh my God, that's a very interesting name. <laughs> yeah, because our reward pathways- um, sometimes, sometimes people are on the opposite of the end of the spectrum where they talk about how like, oh, like we shouldn't feel reward food is fuel. Like, but that's not true at all either because 
human psychology and physiology, we need our reward pathways stimulated to an extent. But what these uh, foods that we have in the 21st century do, you know, these very high caloric foods that we already talked about, yeah. these foods essentially seduce your reward pathways. So they make you so happy. They make you feel so good that that's going to be at the forefront of your mind whenever life gets stressed or when boredom hits, right? So when willpower runs low, that's essentially task boredom. You're bored with what you're currently doing. Your mind's not stimulated enough. And when your mind isn't stimulated enough, the first thing that's in its mind is something pleasurable. So if you, if you attach pleasure and reward with a certain type of food, you're going to seek out that food. And so cravings hit at that point. Even though we think it's random, you'll always see that some of these factors are always at play whenever you crave a food, whether it's boredom, whether it's emotional eating, whether you're just hungry and food smells better, there's always some sort of explanation behind your cravings. Before I ask you, how can we uh, starve the cravings, to use your terms exactly, Yeah, I would like to go a little bit back where in the part where you said, uh, wait, wait, just let me remember, you said something very interesting about the, the cravings and these cravings nowadays compared to social media. The, the association between cravings and social media in my opinion, it's almost the same because we are starting to be even more and more addicted to social media and more people are starting to eat their meals while surfing or browsing social media. And this part also can affect them psychologically. You know, when you see a guy with abs and a girl with, uh, I don't know, ripped and lean glutes. and she's looking very good. Uh, sorry, say again. I said glutes. <laughs> okay, glutes. If that's your go-to, glutes. Uh, yeah, actually, these kind of uh, behaviors might also impact negatively the person who's watching them while eating because you are starting to have these thoughts like, mm, I'm never going to look like him, I'm never going to look like her. And then you just start to eat more, not really eating the cravings, but finishing your, let's say, meal and then getting some more because it made you feel sad. So that's really correlated to what you just said about emotional eating. But I just wanted to give a, a, this actual modern example. No, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because it, it goes back to the, the industry win, which uh, I can talk about this all day. How I'm a big fan of it too. But I feel like, and I want to touch on this more, I feel like our industry has gone way too far with the eat stuff in moderation, you'll be fine. But Like I said, the research doesn't point that way because of exactly what you mentioned. Um, when a craving needs to be starved and you reintroducing it, you're essentially not able to satisfy that craving because if you're able to satisfy it, you, you would be able to stop. And it's kind of similar. I, I write this example in, in the article I have coming up is think of a middle school kid playing video games. Like we all used to be this way, especially guys, like every guy I can think of used to be either used to be or still is uh, <laughs> obsessed with video games. And like when I was in middle school, you know, I came home and I wanted to do, uh, or I wanted to play video games, but my mom wanted me to do homework. Right. And I say the, Oh mom, just let me play one, one game. game. One more game. Right. And we think at that time, we legitimately think like, we're not trying to be a bad kid. We just legitimately think, Oh, 
one more game will satisfy me. Same thing with uh, same thing with people who struggle to diet. They think if I just have this food, it will satisfy me. But if you've defined a craving as risky or dangerous or not conducive to your goal, that craving by definition won't satisfy you. It will tease you for more because after you play that one more game, your mom's like, all right, time to do homework. But because that game stimulated your reward pathways so strongly, you, you don't think about homework. You're just thinking, oh, I want to play one more game after that. And then one more game after that. Same thing. It's the exact same thing with food, which is why moderation isn't always the best advice. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. You know, it's also a fact in history. There was a doctor, can't remember his name, but in addition for him to prove the, that caloric deficit is the one that makes you lose weight, he invented, quote, the Twinkies diet. Yeah. You, you, you know the, the experiment? Yeah, for sure. So basically what he did, so our listeners also will learn about it, he ate Twinkies and some uh, protein shakes, uh, if I remember correctly, just to prove that caloric deficit is the one that makes you lose weight. So this was just a fun fact. It doesn't mean that you can use Twinkies to lose uh, weight. And uh, I'll let Calvin tell you more about how to starve the cravings because he's also always full of practical takeaways. <laughs> I appreciate that, my man. Yeah, so the good news, which uh, I got to mention this because people think when I say starve the craving, people are automatically going to say, oh, you're you're promoting like restriction and you're promoting like like bad eating practices and bad eating behaviors. But there's a way to reintroduce these foods as well as I'll get into. But what I am trying to teach is that if you're serious about your goals and you want to create a lifestyle, you obviously have to change your current diet, which might include taking uh, some of these what we call trigger foods out of your diet, at least for a, a decently long period of time. So then your brain could essentially be, be rewired. And how you do that, we already went over basically the goal is to starve it and not have it exposed to us. Yeah. So the, the first tip I have is to adjust your environment and your proximity. So what we see is there's a direct correlation between how close something is and how much you crave it. So just like how I mentioned, when we live in a country with chocolate, especially with chocolate bars at every gas station, every grocery store, right? We're going to crave chocolate a lot more. But if we live in a country where there's only, you know, chocolate once every like 10 miles, then we'll crave it a lot less. Same thing with your immediate environment. If you keep a bowl of nuts by your desk, you're going you're gonna to eat that bowl of nuts. But if you keep it in the counter downstairs, you're less likely to eat it. But if you keep it in the pantry where it's completely out of sight, you're even less likely to eat it. And if it's not inside your house, which is the best advice um, I have for this, this example, then you'll crave it even less. So you're only going to binge or crave the foods that are in your house. Like if you don't have that food, you'll see that the craving dies pretty quickly. So one, just putting it out there, right? People are watching this and they're going, oh, how do I defeat cravings? If you're not, if you're unwilling to not buy your cravings, then you're probably not that serious about defeating your cravings because what research finds is that even people with high willpower can't override proximity, um, at least not to the same degree of their willpower. So we find people with a lot of self-control, they passed a lot of these self-control tests 
and you know they've been dieting for a while but if you put their favorite food or the food that they struggle to resist very close to them they're gonna eat it so uh first tip is to not buy that food like for me if i'm dieting and i'm very serious about it i won't buy any ice cream there won't be any ice cream in my freezer because I could easily eat two pints of Ben and Jerry's in one sitting. And I am 5'4", 145 pounds. So <laughs> just, just for context, even trainers and coaches, they need to set up these boundaries because we're not, we're not smarter than our environment. Like we think we can outwill things like that video game scenario. We think we can just stop after one video game, but we're very bad at predicting our, our future self-control. Yeah, actually the the tactic you mentioned is the one that uh, big supermarkets use i don't know if uh, uh, our listeners know but you've seen when you go to the uh, cashier's desk and you put all these objects on the band you've got there some chocolate some gums some yeah some trick and treats you know and also yeah. they use the the little aisles in the shop to market the same product so it's first the first time you see it, and maybe you can say, "Ah, I'm not gonna buy it." You see it the second time, and you say, mm, "But that's good." And the third time, when you go in another aisle, the product is still there. It's called the um, multiple placements tactic. And in the end, with the third look, you usually buy it. For sure, yeah, yeah. That has many. That has two mechanisms to it. It keeps your it keeps that item in the front of your mind, and it drains your willpower. So every single time you see it and you resist, right? You might think you're accomplishing something, which you are, but that that comes at a cost of energy. And willpower is essentially psychological energy. And we already said that that cravings is psychological. So each time you see that and you resist it, you're you're losing your your mana of sorts for video game listeners, right? You're you're losing your mana, and eventually you get to a point where it gets exposed one last time, and you don't have any more energy to resist. So then you, you buy it. it, and then it happens fatality. Yeah, exactly. Fatality. <laughs> Diet's blown for the day. Yeah. Uh, also, well, another another important fact about the cravings. You know, some guys, girls, people uh, don't want to be racist here uh, or uh, sexist. Some people. Uh, have the the idea the wrong idea of course that if they ate in that particular day i don't know a short craving then the diet for the day is gone yeah yeah for sure uh that's a that's a definitely a slippery slope and that's where you you try to teach people to think flexibly as much as they can so you might set up your boundaries but you have to tell people hey life gets in the way and sometimes you know you eat over your calories but it's not the end of the world So at that point, you have to see if that food is causing them to overeat even more or if it's their psychological barrier. Because if it's their psychological barrier, you can just teach them, hey, if you go over, it's not a big deal. Just try to get back on track that day. But if it's that food, then you have to set up harder boundaries and make sure that that food stays away from them, essentially. Not in the sense of restriction or like this is a bad food. Right, because you don't want them to think that. You still want them to think, "Hey, this food is okay. There's nothing wrong with it." But because we have this goal right now, and we're trying to create a lifestyle that's healthier, and we're trying to put our brain in a better position where it has a better relationship with the foods that we associate with, we have to keep this away for a period of time. Yeah, 
we also talk about these uh, psychological and behavioral science uh, changes sorry in our evidence-based ebook it's called diet like a doctor and you can find it on our website awesome uh, yeah yeah that's a great ebook for sure yeah so and moving on do you have another practical takeaway for our listeners to start off their cravings yeah i have a, a few more so the the next one is to stay busy and distracted because essentially when we get to the point of cravings like how we think oh it's super random but it's actually most of the time when we crave something it's because we have task boredom so mm -hmm. meaning we're doing something and that task is not stimulating us enough to where we get bored of it so if you're able to stay busy you're able to have a lot of tasks lined up and you're able to stay distracted you won't find yourself at that point where willpower is low or where temporary boredom exists because the moment boredom comes up your brain is going to think of what's really fun that I can do right now. And usually for a lot of people, that's food. That's what can I get to stimulate my reward pathways right now? And for a lot of people, it's food. So staying busy and distracted, making sure you have a schedule, a routine. And I tell people for the weekends, even plan your downtime. So sometimes people will say, oh, I got, you know, I'm ready for this weekend. I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm just going to be hanging out at home and, you know, just just chill just chilling out but mm -hmm. you know even in times like that you want to create a routine and say okay i'm going to plan this for this hour and i'm going to try to roughly stick to it because that way you're you're at the mercy of the schedule you're not at the mercy of of your boredom just coming up and going oh you know we have a lot of time right now my friend called me up and let's let's go to you know jack in the box or mcdonald's so try to stay busy distracted have a good routine going. Like a lot of times people will say, oh, work was crazy. Like this was a super stressful day and I didn't eat anything all day. Usually those days are actually very good because people end up eating less, even though they don't realize it. Yeah, actually, I think there's a little bit of a downside there because some people might get home and, uh, you know, break the fridge. Yeah, true. So it's a, a slippery slope, as you already sure, said. Yeah. At that point, you have to make sure that they they stay satiated. So if they can get home and they're full, like if they have like quick snacks, like protein shakes, uh, tuna, celery, carrots, right? Mm -hmm. That it should be better off because they, they already spent a majority of their day, of their day uh, not even thinking about the food because they thought about work and they come home full, then they still should have a lot of willpower left. And if they don't have the food in their house, not a problem, problem at all. Yeah, I think it's very important for a coach uh, I didn't say trainer or nutritionist, I said coach, to explain to the client the importance of calorie density. Oh, yeah, for sure. But that yeah, is a talk for another time because we can talk about that one hour. No worries. No worries. Yeah, the next tip I had too was, um, was mindfulness and episodic future thinking so this plays more into the psychology of cravings so with mindfulness one of the key things that's been shown is to not actually avoid thinking about the food but reframing how you think about the food so in one study they basically tied a box of chocolates to to people for 72 hours right they tied a box of chocolates and one group was instructed every time they craved the chocolates 
to try to not think about the chocolates, even though they're they're like handcuffed to a box of chocolates. And then the other group was taught uh, cognitive-based coping mechanisms, coping strategies. So what they were taught was ex- essentially how to accept the cravings. So a lot of times people think of cravings as bad, like I should avoid thinking about it. But if you reframe that into thinking, okay, cravings aren't bad. I think this way because my brain has been exposed to it and it's very normal. Just like every other human craves pleasure, I'm craving pleasure right now. And if you think, okay, this is a craving. My brain is just craving pleasure. I might just be bored. What can I do to mitigate this problem without giving into my craving? So what that does is that puts you uh, in reality with the issue. So that forces you to face the problem, which is good. And it takes the emotion out of it. And so if the emotion is out of it, then you're more likely to think logically. And what they found was people who were taught these these strategies were able to resist the the chocolate more than the people who just kept thinking, oh, don't eat the chocolate, don't eat the chocolate, avoid thinking about the chocolate. And going in line with that is future episodic, episodic thinking, which is another strategy that you can use uh, in combination with this, is when you think deeply about the future. So a lot of times cravings is simply we're giving up what we want most for what we want now. But if you think about what you want most, which is long-term, that prize is almost always going to be better. So if you think about the better prize, the current prize, the current short-term pleasure fades down in its intensity. So an example of this would be like, um, I think of marriage. So like, if you look at people who, who chose very good partners, right? If you're very happy with your partner, you're much less likely to cheat. Because if you're ever put in a position of temptation, right? And we're all human, we all get tempted, right? Like, let's say you're at work, and someone is flirting with you with uh, the opposite sex, and you're married, right? You're less likely to cheat on, let's say, your, your husband or your wife, if you think about how hot and how amazing your husband and wife is. So same thing here, if you accept that the craving is there, and that you need a way to mitigate this craving, right? A great way is to think in the future, meaning think very hard of either the pleasure of reaching your goal, right? Because you're, you're, you're having a goal right now, or the pleasure of the alternative. So let's say you're thinking about like apple pie. Instead of thinking about apple pie, think, oh, I'm going to think about, I have a Greek yogurt at home with fresh apples and cinnamon on it. I'm going to put a little bit of stevia so it tastes very sweet. It's still going to, you know, it's still going to satiate my reward pathways, but I can still get more protein in, so I'm going to be building more muscle and this is going to be lower calories than this apple pie. It's going to get me to my long-term goal and help me sustain that lifestyle better. So even though we intuitively know the apple pie will always taste better, right? If we think about the future, and how much more worth it it'll be, that gives us a way out and that makes it easier um, to not fall off our diet. And that really applies with, with a lot of things in life as well. Totally agree with, the, with your uh, method of coping. And uh, it, it's like uh, reprogramming your thoughts, you know? Yeah, for sure. And a, a good way, a good tip to, to make that even more of a reality is to learn to cook. Because if you can make... If you can make uh, nutrient-dense food tastes good, you're, you're less likely to, to go off your diet, essentially, right? 
Yeah. Same thing. Like yeah. if you create a good marriage, like if you nurture that marriage, uh, nurture that relationship, you're less likely to look elsewhere outside of that marriage to to cheat essentially. Precisely. Yeah. And the last few tips I have, one is to manage sleep and stress. Um, this is actually huge. Um, and I can get into this pretty long, but it's, but I'll just let the listeners know because uh, these people are very educated. Make sure you manage your stress and make sure you get eight hours of good quality sleep every single day because sleep and stress essentially sets up your baseline willpower long-term and for that day. So another reason why cravings aren't random is because you'll notice when you crave foods, you'll crave foods more on days where you're sleep deprived or after a stressful event. So if you can manage your stress better and get more sleep, that's always going to help with your, your willpower, which directly correlates to how strongly you crave foods. And let's see here. And then uh, if it's okay with you, I can go into how to reintroduce cravings, essentially. Uh, is that the last tip you want to talk about? Yeah, oh. unless you had something else you want to touch on. No, too. no, I was actually waiting. I, I thought you wanted to continue without uh, uh, asking me this because I was actually really listening the the uh, talk. So yeah, sure. Oh, go gotcha. Ahead. Gotcha. Yeah, it really comes down to uh, making sure you stay full. So eating enough protein and veggies, having a regular meal timing, right? Keeping uh, keeping willpower high. So making sure that you're not having to resist things, setting up your environment to where um, these foods aren't close to you, right? And making sure you manage your stress, your sleep, and then thinking in the way of, okay, I need to starve this craving. This is not me restricting this craving. This is just me saying, uh, I'm going to go without it for a period of time. So my mind and my brain, our reward pathways are going to have a better relationship with food which is exactly what we find in research. And that's kind of the first step in reintroducing some of these cravings is we find that when you go without the food, so when you actually starve the craving, you crave it less. So you'll see this with a lot of people who, who get really excited about fitness and they maintain it for a long time, right? When you're going to the gym a lot and you're eating you know, a good healthy diet and you're not overeating on these cravings, right? we see that people tend to crave these salty, sugary, high-fat foods, these trigger foods, a lot less. And you actually start to like some of these healthier foods a lot more, right? It doesn't mean that broccoli will taste better than chili cheese fries, but a lot of fitness people can attest to this, to where when they started eating healthier, they actually liked the healthy food a lot more than when they first started. And they actually crave uh, less nutritious foods, uh, a lot, you know, they crave those a lot less. So once you get to a point where you can say, okay, I'm craving this a lot less, but I want it in my life, right? Yeah. Then you can bring back that food in a small portion. And if you're able to make it fit your macros, <clears throat> then, um, if you're able to make it fit your macros, then boom, successful reintroduction. If you're not able to reintroduce it, you have two options. Uh, three options actually. One is you can uh, go without it longer, right? So you have to, you realize, okay, I didn't go without it long enough or I wasn't consistent enough with, with my current diet. I, I have to 
really make sure my reward pathways are in a healthy state, right? So you can go longer without it. The second thing is you can switch to a bulk because ultimately, like we first start, we first stated is cravings are only bad if they derail you from your goal, right? Correct. So your current lifestyle, your requirement of calories doesn't allow for that craving to fit in, right? If you're in a position to bulk, that's always a good idea. And I always try to tell women this because women get very lean and they don't realize, oh, well, you have to eat at these calories or barely a little bit higher at your new maintenance, right? For the rest of your life, if you want to maintain this body weight, right? But if we gain a little bit of weight or we try to put on some muscle, you will have more room to fit in these foods that we've been, we've been avoiding essentially, right? Because that's the reality. If you can't, if you can't eat the food without it derailing where you're at and you want to maintain that lifestyle, right? You have to somehow increase your energy balance. So going into bulk is your second option. And then your third option is to try to reintroduce that food when you're full. So if you notice when we're very hungry and we eat something that that's like a trigger food, right? We end up eating a lot because hunger exasperates the effects of cravings. So, and not only that, there's a, a psychological component too. So when you eat a craving, like when you eat a trigger food, when you're hungry, right? It tastes really good. Like if you eat like garlic bread or nachos or uh, waffles, crepes, you eat these foods when you're starving, they taste amazing and it feels really good in the moment but what that does is that essentially circuits your reward pathways into thinking wow this food is very 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 rewarding i'm gonna want more of it but when you're full the opposite effects happen so when you're full the food tastes uh, a lot worse it doesn't taste as good so if you're trying to reintroduce something it's always a good idea to reintroduce it when you're full and we see this in research too, when they took uh, chocolate cravers and they either fed them, uh, they either fed them when they're they're hungry or they're full, right? The people who are fed when they're full crave chocolate less uh, that moment and long term as well. So if you're trying to reintroduce your food, the first step shouldn't be to think, oh, I'm gonna go all out, I'm gonna save all my calories for it, and you know, just have you know an awesome day eating chicken wings or whatever. But a better idea is to reintroduce it when you're full. That way your brain understands, okay, um, this food tastes this good. It doesn't taste, it's not seducing me or anything. I can have this in the future and you'll build a healthier relationship from there. Yeah, actually I've got a guest coming up uh, after you, like uh, in the timeline after you. Uh, and we will talk about goal settings, which are very important and they link quite well with uh, our talk today. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, make sure your, your goals are clear because at the end of the day, your behavior should match your intentions. Precisely. I think that this is a very uh, sensitive topic, the, the psychological part of a diet. And uh, if uh, we are talking about, we, we actually talked about normal, healthy people that diet, but there are people who experience eating disorders and these people should also and uh, should always look for accredited help. There are some um, 
dieting therapists that try to help you get over this issue, the more important and the first important part is to acknowledge that you need help and uh, you can find it anywhere you, you search. Uh, sorry for the, the most serious part of the talk, because uh, I just wanted to bring some light on this issue. I see it quite often and uh, some people don't understand the importance of it. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I think coaches don't understand the importance either, because I feel like a lot of coaches, you know, fitness comes natural to us. And same thing with nutrition. And we're here with, you know, our healthy reward systems when it comes to food we're good at resisting foods right and we don't relate with the client who has a completely different state of mind and a different history different emotional attachment towards food so yeah i'm mm -hmm. really glad you brought that up yeah uh, it's it's a very important topic to talk about but uh, as i'm no expert uh, i was just making a recommendation to seek help to those who need it yeah spot on so this brings us to the end of our convo. Calvin was uh, full of practical takeaways for you. So again, if you want to contact him or read his awesome articles, his website is awesomefitnessscience.com and his Instagram handle is the same. I hope I got it right, Calvin. Yeah, awesomefitnessscience.com. Because he's awesome in fitness and science. <laughs> Far too kind, my man. <laughs> And uh, if you want to ask Calvin some questions, you can also DM them uh, to us and uh, we will take care of it. Maybe he will come for another episode in the future. Yeah, happy to for sure. Thanks again, Calvin, for accepting my invitation. I really had a good time and learned a lot. I really hope you also enjoyed our time spent together and uh, see you soon, I think. It's a pleasure, Vlad. See you later, my man. This brings us to the end of our podcast. Uh, it was a very interesting talk. Don't forget to share, like, and uh, subscribe to our podcast if you enjoyed it. It helps us very much. And if you need, and if you know someone who is struggling with eating disorders, please stand by them and make them reach help.